Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Hello Judges, sponsored by Tales of Harrogate. My guest this week is Sierra Yeo. Sierra works for the Zurich University of Applied Sciences and is the reigning UK Brewers' Cup champion. This is a great episode, and Sierra gives a glimpse behind the scenes at this year's World Brewers' Cup in Melbourne. This podcast was recorded at an altitude of 1,700 to 2,000 metres above sea level. At this altitude, there are greater extremes in the day and night temperatures. This means that the podcast ripened at a much slower rate, building up complexity and sweetness. Please enjoy. Hello. Hey, friend. How's it going? Good. Busy. I've had a busy, um, yeah, I think month since coming back from Melbourne, so... Starting my new job. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It, it's so that's great... a uh, ZHAW, right? What What does it stand for? So it, it it's um, Swiss German, or it's German, um, but in English it translates to the Zurich University of Applied Sciences. Yes. And yeah. you are helping out... Um, all those, you know, famous and regarded coffee scientists with all the important <laughs> research and delivering the courses, oh, and stuff, right? I I wish I I wish I had a sciencey background. I don't. So so far, I've been relegated to doing a lot of brewing and a lot of admin, but that suits me just fine. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah. So I guess welcome to the podcast. Yeah, I mean, like. First of all, congratulations for like starting the podcast. Like, what what was the what was the process behind it? Like, what made you decide to want to do it? Uh, well, I was writing my blogs about my experience in the Barista Championships, and I was I was quite enjoying it. Like, they were quite long and tedious, but also it felt a little bit like I was cleansing some demons at the same time. So <laughs> it was it was really good, and. Um, they seem to get like a bit of attention. Like we had quite a few uh, views on the pages and I thought, oh, maybe it's not as super niche as I think it is. Mm. And then um, I just thought, you know what? I, I like coffee podcasts. Um, I like it when people interview people who've competed, get a bit of an insight. And I thought, why don't I just whip up something that does specifically that? I love it. I love that Taylor's is so supportive as well. I know I know that they've obviously supported your journey and competing and all that kind of stuff as well. And then to know that they've supported the podcast, that's really sweet. They'll back me, which is really amazing. Amazing. That's good. Guess we'll kick off some nice, easy, light questions. Like, what coffee are you drinking at home right now? Oh, I am drinking, well, a very cold cup of Los Idolos from Colombia. Um, I do believe it's from La Cabra. I can't remember anymore, but yeah nice um so i have asked well i've asked the internet what they want to know from you and i'll sort of check the questions intermittently throughout our uh, our chat um i listened to your podcast that you did with nicole she's the barista podcast um so i'm gonna ideally try and not create too much overlap with that because people who are into like you know competition-based podcasts they'll probably listen to them both and we don't want anyone to be bored, right? We're all about the entertainment here, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there might be a little bit of overlap. So getting started, why did you decide to compete in the first place? Um, I think it boils down to just proving to myself that I could. And also, I had not been excited about coffee for a long time. Um, before deciding to compete. I think I just fallen into that that jadedness of, oh, okay, like, I know what a geisha tastes like. I know what good coffee is. I don't really want to, you know, push the boundaries of that anymore. And then after I decided to compete, I realized how much I didn't know. And that was the most exciting thing and just has kept me going. Excellent. Um, I think a lot of people who've been in the coffee industry for like, a, you know, a few years probably go through maybe like different waves of that. There's so many times where I've been like, I'm not interested anymore. Nothing really tastes amazing. I think I, I became quite a lazy brewer. Yeah. I think mm. because of that, I've just suffered with generic 
bruised for a long time. Yeah, and I think also a part of me didn't know which part was me being lazy or what I didn't know could affect my bruise. So like in the time since I've learned, for example, like the filter paper makes a difference, the water you use makes a difference, like every single little thing um, that you can change incrementally to give yourself a better brew. Whereas in the past, I just wasn't even interested about, you know, which thing had an impact. So I think that's been uh, way better for my morning brews <laughs> ever since. Yeah, when you're brewing at home, how meticulous are you now? I get a little kick out of being as precise as I was on stage. Um, so I obviously uh, live with my partner and coach, Matt, uh, who won a Brewers Cup last year. And he says this thing, and I feel, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but he's like, yeah, once you win, no one can tell you about how to brew <laughs> anymore. So even if I'm not precise, you can't tell me. And I get the kick out of the opposite where I'm like, I have to be as precise as I was on stage, um, which is great. So I, I am try I am quite meticulous. I do. I do have to say. Excellent. <laughs> it's something that uh, I'm working on because like recently I acknowledged how lazy of a brewer I am. And I thought like I need to I need to sort this out to make sure like am, am I the, the, the thing that's bringing these brews down or is it? bad roasting is it you know bad water so you know let's separate the variables and tackle it one by one and I think also a part of it is knowing like when not to push it like I think once I've remade a coffee three times I'm like okay <laughs> it's time to give it a rest and just drink the coffee do you know what I mean yeah yeah so I suppose this segues quite nicely into how did you approach the compulsory round in Brewers Cup? Like, what was your technique? What, like, what was your approach? So my approach this year was uh, to do both a drip method and an immersion method. And I think that's quite common across um, people who are experienced in compulsory, um, just because you, you have to cast such a wide net to know, you know, what, what the coffee works best with. Um, and it's very hard to tell with a, a method with a small margin of error. So, for example, I've found that with, um, say, the April Brewer, that's got a very small margin of error. So I have to nail it with this coffee or this coffee has to fit exactly. Otherwise, it's not going to taste as good as it could taste. Whereas I feel like the, the more tried and tested methods like the AeroPress, which was my immersion method, and the Metal V60, which was my drip, um, tend to be a bit more flexible. Uh, and and more open to the different variables that you could play with. Uh, so those are my, those were my two methods. Um, yeah, quite an open one. So um, talk me through it. Like in Brewers Cup in the compulsory round, how does it work? Like how long do you get with the coffee? How much? Uh, how many chances do you get to to remake? What's the sort of format? Um, so the format is you get uh, 30 minutes. Well, actually, it changes from year to year. You've got two options where you can do 30 minutes and then you have a bit of a break in the middle. And then you have seven minutes where you make your competition brews and serve them. So the 30 minutes of practice time and then seven minutes of service. Um, and then you have eight minutes of setup time before that as well. So you can do that, or there is the option that they did last year, as well as at this year's nationals, which I competed in, uh, which is a full 45 minute block of setup, practice and competition time. Right. Um, the, the difference between those two formats is obviously you get to go away and think about what you want to do in option A, whereas with option B, where you have to do the, four, the full 45 minute block, you just have to go for it. So um, I think in terms of stamina and endurance, the requirements are slightly different. Um, and also it gives you a lot of room to doubt yourself and your choices. Um, with regards to this year, uh, what I found I really struggled with as well was that with the big break in the middle, um, the coffee was allowed to age an extra day. So I had mm -hmm. to kind of factor that in as well between my practice time and then my seven minutes of service the next day. Uh, so that was so that was super interesting. And then the way I kind of went about it was 
I did my I did I broke it into different phases in the 30 minutes. So my first phase was figuring out whether or not uh, I wanted to use a dripper uh, and immersion method. And then once I locked that in, I changed either grind size or temperature or um, ratio as well uh, in my second and third phases. And then finally I used, and this is probably the bit that's gonna be super interesting. I had to do a final round with uh, chilling compounds. Right. And that was uh, what I did at both nationals and at the worlds. So I had to test to see whether my coffee would taste better uh, with chilling compounds and to what degree it had been chilled as well. Really interesting. So that's um, obviously a bit of a, sort of new up and coming trend in the competition scene across brewers and barista like we had you know Hugh Kelly last year in mm -hmm. uh, Milan doing it on his yeah. espressos yeah uh, Sasha Sestich in uh, Australia in Brewers Cup mm -hmm. um, yeah I've not seen many other people do it in their uh, open service uh, no that's super true yeah um, I think it Sasha really obviously demonstrated that with his Paragon at the um, Australian Nationals. Uh, and to me, I think if it wasn't for that beautiful design of the Paragon, and also this is not an ad for the Paragon in any way, shape or form, <laughs> it is just explaining that it's so finicky and you only have 10 minutes for the open service on stage. So to include the factor of chilling compounds is, is something that I think people have to really think about going forward. You know, how much do you want to chill it? Do you want to take it off at a certain point? You have to make sure you take it off at the same time for all three brews. So that that takes a lot more calculation than just deciding that you want to do chilling compounds, I think, um, yeah. for open anyway. Yeah, really interesting. I suppose I didn't think of that perspective of it, like having to make sure that everything's neat and tidy and the timing spot on with everything. Whereas mm -hmm. I suppose with um, compulsory, you've got a little bit more flexibility. Yeah. So it was your first time competing and you won the UK Brewers Cup Championship. Um, how how was that journey? Like, did you think you had a chance at winning when you first entered? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, I think for so long, I kind of held anyone that competed, you know, regardless of where they placed in such esteem, because competition is such a trying thing. Um, and I didn't know how much I knew or didn't know about coffee. And then, yeah, as a result, I think I went and signed up and thought, okay, well, I'm just going to give it my best. I knew what I was good at, which was being on stage and being comfortable on stage. And that certainly helped a lot. But then at the end of the day, this is a brewing competition. It's not a not a performance evaluation so I knew that I also had to, to prove that I could brew as well um yeah so great like what were the sort of main hurdles you felt you had to overcome as a first-time competitor um in terms of the actual brewing and making of coffee like I think I had a solid enough base and it was more just knowing how deep down the rabbit hole to go and everyone talks about the rabbit hole you just you break down every single variable i remember testing things like different filter papers the flow rates of different filter papers um grind time intervals so like grinding a coffee and letting it rest for like eight minutes six minutes four minutes two minutes and being able to taste the differences so things that like normal human beings don't even think about when you go into making coffee, I, I would like to think anyway, if you are a normal person and you're listening to this and you go, I'm doing this with my coffee, you're not normal um, and you should compete. Um, and I think the other big hurdle was um, emotional and mental management because no one ever tells you what to expect. And I think people who go into competition, I, I do think there's a healthy um, desire to want to win. Like I, I'm, not, I'm at least I, I'm not speaking for anybody else, 
but I know that I would go into a competition knowing that I wanted to win or at least trying to win. Um, but then also managing, you know, how you feel if that doesn't happen, um, how to win gracefully, how to lose gracefully, like all of that stuff was super new to me. It is a, a huge like emotional roller coaster. Like mm. um before competing, you know, during the competition and afterwards. It's like it's quite hard to explain to people like what to expect. Absolutely. So like my experience, I put a lot of time into, you know, practicing beforehand and like whether it was like during work, after work, on the weekends, going to somewhere else and practicing in a strange environment reading the rules a silly amount of times reading the rules <laughs> always read the rules no absolutely yeah um, yeah and I, I i think one other thing that's just come to me is you know space and equipment as well so i was very lucky to be able to have equipment um you know stuff that i borrowed from work or you know places to train like i trained with claire who uh, represented the United Kingdom this year in the Barista Championships and is now third in the world. Um, you know, I was able to train with her and her coach Rosa and my coaches at the time, Matt and Lisa Laura. Um, and, you know, to be able to be supported by a team, to be able to ask for knowledge from people who had done it before was so invaluable. And I, I think there's a real privilege there. Um, and I think also it's partly my personality. I'm the kind of person that can go and ask people and I don't feel self-conscious about doing that but I know that that's such a big hurdle for a lot of people who are first-time competitors or who you know who are new to the world of coffee and decide that competition is something they want to do it's it's very hard to ask for resources and and help I think yeah um I think that's it's something that's said in every sort of chat about competition ever but like surrounding yourself with a team whether they be experienced people or just people that you can lean on um it's so important and takes i think to an extent it takes a lot of stress off but then also maybe you feel a certain level of um not wanting to let them down yeah so maybe you pile more pressure on that way i think so and i think the whole team feels everything like you know whether or not you do well or not do well um the whole team is there for the for the highs and the lows um and I think also to speak to, you know, what happens backstage as well, having a team with experience of what should happen or what is supposed to happen is so crucial, like knowing where you should be for your briefings, knowing, you know, knowing the rules as well as you do, knowing intuitively what you need. Like when I spoke to um, Claire and Rosa, like, you know, Claire was saying, oh, we were in each other's heads all the time. And, you know, Rosa knew when I needed a break. Rosa knew when I needed my glasses to be clean. She she just went and did it, you know. And, um, and in my case, it was very similar for me and Matt as well, especially at the Worlds, where he knew when my coffee needed to be ground. He knew when I needed to have my trolley out on stage and, and all that kind of stuff. So having someone there to be that spare brain space for you is so key yeah for sure and like um in my experience when i was backstage um preparing for barista i realized i was like down one dosing cup and i was like i had a packing list i packed it i ticked it on my packing list but it's not here i can't find it uh, and so i said to my coach uh nicola i need a dosing cup like what am i going to do and she was like i'll find you one i'll go and borrow one from someone else and so I ended up with a borrowed dosing cup and the following day found my missing dosing cup just in the bottom of my, uh, my stuff. Damn it! <laughs> but just knowing like during your backstage practice time, which is, you know, a limited amount of time to get everything tasting amazing. I was like, oh, I'm missing this one tiny piece of equipment, which mm -hmm. will really throw me off. Mm. I mean, it's, it, and it's so, I think that's the other thing about having a coach or a team around you, which is to to mitigate your your comp brain. I think as competitors, it's just the thing that happens to everyone. You are just so hyper focused, and you have such tunnel vision on on doing well that you just lose track about certain things. You lose track about certain priorities. You forget to say hi to people, <laughs> little yeah. things like that, and. You just need someone there who is able to keep you grounded and keep you human 
<laughs> for however long you're competing. For sure. Uh, so did you experience any difficulty in relation to being, a, you know, a minority in the competitions? Um, this one's a, this one's a tricky one because I, I have a lot of privilege. Like I have a privilege of having, you know, good connections to people, to places. Um, so that's kind of nullified what I would have felt as as a as a minority and then when you look at the overall um competition at worlds you know it, it's obviously incredibly diverse um not as diverse as it could be but it, it is um so i don't know if i felt it but i think a lot of people and a lot of the discourse that has surrounded both myself and claire um since winning together uh in the united kingdom has been very inspirational. It's been very hopeful. People have been like, ah, oh, you you know, you've really inspired us to compete. And and a lot of these people are women, a lot of these people are people of color. And uh it's it's been really hopeful. Um and I am so excited to see what the United Kingdom kind of uh, comes up with next year when we start competing again for the 2023 cycle. Yeah like well surely it's not far off right it normally tends to be like barista heats january Ooh. february something like that yep yep and because athens is um next year in june so yeah it, it's probably going to be done early next year so i'm hoping um they do heats with brewers cup next year <sighs> me too i it's getting it's really getting big enough at this point and it, you know so many as a result of like the growth that comes with with a growing competition, there's so many in, uh, changes to the format that we could hopefully propose or introduce that could better the competition. You know, have you got any sort of specific things that you'd like to see change or be introduced? Um, I'd love a semis format. <laughs> that would be pretty cool because, from what I remember of. Uh, nationals and and worlds and I, I think historically it's always been done this way there's only ever been like prelims you know and, and there might have been heats before I'm not too sure but there's only ever been prelims at the national level and then you go straight to finals so from I don't know a pool of I think it was 14 at nationals we went all the way down to six and then at worlds it's even more brutal it's it was 30 31 this year whittled down to six immediately <laughs> so um so that's pretty that's pretty brutal and for the amount of work you know that that you do to prepare to go to worlds it's it's a bit harsh that there isn't a semis format to to progress you um i think the other thing i would love and this is very much a personal opinion i i think other people prefer it in other ways um but I would love the 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 block format for compulsory to be brought back. So like option B in the rules, I think it's option B in the rules, where you just go all the way through um, from your setup to your practice time to your service. One thing I found was that I really second guessed myself a lot when I brought stuff backstage. Um, and also I think that, um, historically a lot of people do rely on their their coaches and their teams to pull through and then that doesn't become a test of the brewer whereas yeah. if you were to do the format you know all the way through you have to make that choice on stage and it's your taste buds and your skills um so yeah that's something that i would love to be brought back but i know that's very dependent on the national body and and kind of what they decide logistically for worlds so interesting yeah i'm really like really keen to see how all the competitions evolve like year upon year um during my chat with uh matt north like we were talking about rules and rule changes and he was like you know it can't you can't just have a massive rule change all of a sudden because he was we you know we were chatting like a couple of weeks after the world championships and he was like you know I'm flying out next week to go start judging some other national yeah. you know, heat. The season's kicking off again. So introducing changes can't be huge, big steps, it would appear. 
there's kind of like no cooling off days or like cooling off periods basically because you just go straight into it so i would have loved to come back to to watch um the switzerland nationals this year but then it was literally the week after worlds ended so i was still in melbourne at the time wow um you know and and it, it just it doesn't stop going um i think another thing that i i found happened to me at the world and some other competitors that i would love to propose as a future change to the format of brewers is better calibration between um, competitors and judges and that's been the case always I know that you know that that's been something that hasn't spoken about since competition's been a thing but I felt it unfortunately painfully for the first time this year as a first-time competitor um, and there have been suggestions of like you know how to uh, minimize that gap between competitors and judges and knowing what the judges are looking for or knowing what um, you know, a good shot is in barista versus a bad shot, even if it's an excellent coffee, you know, uh, same thing for brewers. And yeah, I don't know if having, you know, previous national champions or international champions be part of the judges calibration could be a way to solve this. So to, you know, to be able to say, ah, this was close to what I served, or this wasn't close to what I served when I won but this is a good iteration of that coffee versus this is not a good iteration um, could be could be a way to calibrate, uh, especially at the world's level when you have judges from all over the world. It's, it's very hard to to calibrate. So. Yeah, I think it's it's key to introduce something to allow that to trickle down to the competitors, because mm. obviously all the judges have a calibration barista come in and they go through their calibration. And um, I think a lot of people I've spoken to have expressed like the same thoughts, like how can we make sure just everybody knows what a six is on the score sheet so they know what yeah. to aim for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so sort of your personal experience during the World Brewers Cup Championships, I saw like sort of along these lines, I saw you mirroring the sentiment of some statements made by a um, highly regarded coach um, who'd sort of expressed some uh, concerns in regards to the score sheets and perhaps the judging this year. Like, what was your personal experience at the World Championships? Um, my personal experience, and I'm not speaking for anybody else, was that the coffee I had really carefully dialed in with the help of like a very experienced team that I knew I had brewed the best I'd ever brewed on the day that I was on stage just wasn't the coffee that the judges ended up tasting. Um, so somewhere between me brewing that cup and finishing brewing and serving it and the judges taking it backstage to evaluate, you know, something went wrong. Um, you know, and, and we we can't say if anyone was culpable it might have just been a circumstantial thing it could have been a calibration thing um that really crushed the scores of the coffee that I ended up serving and that was just devastating it was incredibly painful um and then kind of reading you know fellow competitors responses who might have had a similar experience to the one that i had uh looking at the final scores seeing that the the window of scores from the uh the highest scoring coffee to the lowest scoring coffee for open service was actually quite a tight window this year um you know reading it, judges responses to to what had happened this year both at barista and at brewers um i guess the the gray area that i was wondering about because i kind of looked at my score sheets and in my in my technical and workflow i had scored very good scores so the conclusion that i could draw from my score sheets from the you know the the bad tasting notes and so on and so forth to the accuracy and workflow was that i had brewed my coffee uniformly badly <laughs> so <laughs> you know and and that's such a surprise because i think at that level everyone is an incredible brewer everyone has taken the time to dial in their coffee you know, and there's there's something to be said about bringing an incredibly risky coffee and, you know, taking that risk and saying, I'm not sure if this is what the judges are going to appreciate this year because it's out of trend versus something that 
you know, versus the thing that happened this year, in my opinion, which was that, wow, like, okay, surely then a lot of people are out of calibration with the judges, which seems incredibly unlikely. Um, And this year's competitor pool was incredibly skilled as well. I think you've seen some of the names uh, to come out of the the Brewers Cup this year. So that was just a, a very surprising thing. And I think I would go so far as to say that's potentially an anomaly. Um, so then that kind of brings it back to my personal experience, which is, do I take away from this the conclusion that, oh, I never want to compete again because I don't know if I can go through this heartbreak and I'm sure every competitor goes through this. Or was this genuinely an incident of me being out of calibration with the judges? Like that I brought them a coffee that they just couldn't appreciate because it was so wild or so unexpected or so unorthodox? Or do I accept that this was an anomaly and throw my hat into the ring again next year? So these thoughts just kind of going about in my head. I don't, I genuinely don't know what the answer is. I know that I love to perform and that I love to compete. And I would absolutely encourage other people who feel the same way about competition to do it again. But to know that this is a risk is, is, you know, terrifying. Yeah, definitely. I think um, on the topic of thinking about, you know, competing multiple times, like, I've competed in Barista Championship twice. And the first time I did it, like I got so much out of it. I learned so much like about myself and about, you know, making coffee in a very specific way. And I thought, well, you know, that was an amazing learning experience. Surely I can't get as much out of it by doing it again. Because my approach was initially like, not, oh, I'm going to try and win. I want to be the champion. It was like, you know, let's give this a go. I'm really interested in it. But then uh, competing in the same competition a second time, I think, especially because a couple of years had passed um, between first and second time, I got just as much out of it the second time. And um, I just think it's a really interesting experience. So I'm not being like, hey, you should compete in Brewers Cup again. But I think like there's definitely there is personal benefit to competing that is like just personal development skills, learning more about yourself. And I think that doing it multiple times can unlock those doors. I like I totally agree. And I think it's it it is something I will probably go back to. I don't know if this year will be the year. If it is great. I dusted myself off that's wonderful to know uh, for future Sierra but um I think for me and it's such a personal thing I think the reasons why people want to compete like I've said some people can compete just for the experience and they want to and they are completely detached from the outcome arguably that's probably like the best way forward I think what I discovered through this year was that I'm so bloody competitive I'm such a competitive person I don't think I ever like I don't think I knew that for a long time. And then I was like, holy shit, I'm actually really competitive. Um, And part of competing for me will always be, there's always a a tiny part that will be concerned about winning and will be concerned about placing as as highly as I can. And I don't think that's a a bad thing to admit. but certainly um, I see a lot of, for example, my, my friends who engage in other competitive things, so like sports, um, a lot of them are just able to take those learnings into their stride. So I think there's just sort of a mix of all of those things. So being able to pick yourself up again, being able to learn crazy new things, you just go on this huge learning curve and that's wonderful. But then knowing that somewhere in there is doing as best as you can and potentially placing and that's kind of the the weird alchemy of it for me personally nice uh just a a fresh question in from the audience um i say audience like as if people are listening to this live Uh, (laughs) love it i love that vibe uh the, the question is did sierra intentionally say let's get this started whilst playing the black eyed peas song Either way, it was the best moment of Brewers Cup 22. 
Woo! No, absolutely. I think if you look back at the Nationals routine, um, music was a very intentional part of it. Like I really wanted my audience to have fun as well as my judges to have fun. So I dropped a couple of Easter eggs in there. Um, let's get let's get it started was by the Black Eyed Peas. I think I said Juicy multiple times because Lizzo, um, Juice by Lizzo was playing. Um, yeah, a couple of, I think, um, Let Me Blow Your Mind by Eve was my starting song. And the thing that most gutted me, which you won't see on the um, World Coffee Championships uh, broadcast of the live stream, because they put that elevator music on well yeah. you know the one i'm talking about which you're using for your theme song oh my god it's gonna give me ptsd um was that they cut out the soundtracks for people doing brews in their open service and i had the most banging soundtrack it was uh what did i do i did um let's groove by earth wind and fire classic classic oh i'm not allowed to curse um classic and then there's um also another black eyed Peas song uh oh yeah where is the love another tune um and then there was hooks on a feeling with Lou sweet so all kind of cheesy bangers going on <laughs> oh yeah like it was and i really did and it really did tie into the coffee as well which was you know coffee that makes you feel good um so i really wanted to bring that to life and i think that you know you wouldn't be on stage if you didn't want to have fun and perform and 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 you know enthrall your audience so that was something i really wanted to do amazing well that, that brings us rather nicely to a question from claire wallace uh <laughs> what is your biggest tip for delivering an engaging brewer's presentation on stage oh um i i don't know if i can speak for everyone on this but for me it's having fun um i i remember doing that thing you do as a first-time competitor where you go and look at everyone else's routine <laughs> like in recordings of and I couldn't see a routine that I was that that I wanted to do that was very me. Um, a lot of Brewers Cup, I think, historically has been quite technical. There's a lot of uh, high quality information that comes through, but as a judge, I wasn't sure that you know that I could. I wasn't sure that I could deliver that kind of information in that way that would capture a judge. Um, so I wanted to do something completely different and more personable, more engaging, um, and just make people fall in love. Um, I think my my goal every time someone came to see my run through in Melbourne, like, and I I, I did maybe five or six of them tops. I didn't want to burn out. Um, was to charm the socks off them was the words that I used and uh yeah like it, it and I think that's it really you want to for me at least try to charm the socks of the judges yeah I think it's good to build your personality into the routine and try and just put some own you know genuine engagement for yourself in there because mm. otherwise I don't know you might go insane just you know driving lines over and over again right yeah, I think also it's key, it, it, and there's a lot of it that's human psychology as well, which is why the music choice and like my energy going into it was so intentional, because I knew that if I was comfortable on stage, that would bleed through, like that would infect the judges. Um, and that was just something that was a no-brainer for me. I was like, okay, if I feel at ease, they'll feel it. And therefore, I will be able to brew my coffee the best that I can, because at the end of the day, it's still a brewing competition, right? It's not, again, it's not a performance necessarily. Um, so, yeah, knowing that I wasn't going to mess something up, knowing that I wasn't going to overpour or underpour because I had, because I was at ease was was key for me. And also, like, having cheesy jams play in might help with the <laughs> perceived acidity of the coffee. It's absolutely, all sensory, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and there are so many, like, different and engaging approaches. I saw a lot of actually very um, mindfulness-led techniques this year, at both at the national level and world levels, um, which is super, super cool. Uh, so, you know, to each his own. Um, but that was the way that I did it.
and the way I'll maybe continue to do it. Nice. So how are you, it's quite a broad question, how are you feeling now in the aftermath after the World Brewers Championship? Um, I, I feel like I've gotten over the most of it. I obviously didn't do as well as I wanted to do. Actually, that's such an understatement. I was expecting myself to do well, and I didn't do well. And there's so many things tied into that. Um, you know, knowing that the results this year are not reflective of what I know I can do, um, knowing that one mistake at crunch time uh, really cost me a lot. So it, one thing that I really struggled with was that I had all of the training time in the world. I was very lucky to be able to train. Um, like I said, in Nicole's podcast, um, I was able to train for two, three months pretty much paid. Um, so in terms of the most perfect lead up ever to competition, I had that this year. Um, and yet what happens on the day happens on the day. And that was something that I just wasn't prepared for. So in a way, you know, I, I kind of thought of this year as learning my stripes and knowing what uh, nerves can do to you on the world stage is so important. Um, and yeah, I think I'm still kind of processing that and also processing how I deal with failure. I think that's that's something that no one can teach you unless you kind of go through it yourself. Um, so yeah, I hope that answers your question. No, yeah, for sure. So definitely, like, it's a good insight. Like we mentioned it earlier on, but the aftermath of competition, you're going through so many ups and downs in your mind, no matter, like, especially I imagine if you win, right? Like how, how were you feeling when you won the UK championship? What were your initial like thoughts from being announced winner? I mean, it can be best summed up by, I think after I won and was presented the trophy and was going around like, you know, saying hi to people, shaking hands to people, I put the trophy on the ground. <laughs> Cause I was just so like, I don't know if ashamed or embarrassed is the word. I was just so sheepish, I think, about it. Like, who wins on their first time? Was it a fluke? Um, like, do I deserve to be representing? Um, yeah, like all these things. And I, I, I mean, that's very conveniently covered, you know, by the term imposter syndrome, but it was just more than that. And I think I continue to question myself all the time it's a bit of a double-edged sword. You you just always ask, you know, do I really know what I'm doing? You know, would I, you know, continue to know what I'm doing next year if I were to compete again and, and all that stuff. But then going back to your point as well, actually, I felt like, I feel, I think actively still, that we don't know how to have the best discourse around not winning. Um, I think winning is, not that there's a script for winning, but I think that on the whole, it's it's easier to to be able to talk to people about that and kind of what you did well. But when it's a conversation about what you didn't do well, <laughs> and then you're talking to other people who also didn't do as well as they hoped, like there just isn't a lot of discourse around losing and how to lose um, and also how to pick yourself up again. So maybe maybe that's something that as competitors, maybe we could have more support on maybe we can support each other better like yeah that's that's kind of my thoughts about it and also thinking like within the system the um judges debrief that you get like post competition like every time for me it's been kind of like the end of the day and you're like okay the judges are available if you have any questions about your score sheet and like you have to know what to ask right mm. you can't just like go up to the judging panel with your score sheet and be like so tell me tell me what went wrong <laughs> tell me more yeah exactly and i think i you know it's very interesting when it's when you're the winner and and for me it was my first time as well because i kind of walked in and i was like well this is the first ever time i've ever had something like this what am i supposed to ask you 
like, and also what could I ask you given that I won? Like, what could I have done better? Like, you know, what, what, what do you genuinely ask? Um, and I think now looking back and, and going back again, if I were to compete again, I, and if I did win, I'd be like, no, actually you gave this, you know, an eight, seven, five, what could I have done to make it a nine or a nine, two, five? I think that once you have that first year or that first round or that first competition under your belt, you you know a range of scores uh, of what is acceptable and uh, you know what what is acceptable from yourself and what isn't, and then you can go and say, oh, okay, where could I have gotten that extra 0.25? Where could I have got that extra 0.5? Um, does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, just a interesting thought between winning the uk championship and going competing in the world did you have any chats with judges like from the uk who judged you uh did you get any sort of additional advice coaching feedback from them because they're allowed to then give that to you after the competition season right yeah so I did, um, I had chats with judges who had judged me at nationals, um, you know, who had sat in on either my first round or my final round. Um, but then once we were preparing for Worlds, so I had already moved to Switzerland by that point. Like I, I had moved pretty much after I won to maximize the training that I could get um, with Matt. And, you know, at that point, I think I was a little bit removed from the scene. So apart from just general chats with judges that I knew, whose palettes I knew, um, there wasn't a lot of, you know, tasting or calibration or anything like that. So the most, the most feedback they could give me was after I sent them kind of videos, like the first drafts of my world's routines. So then they could only judge from a visual perspective, you know, what looked like a good routine and what didn't. But as we know, it doesn't matter if your routine looks good or not, it's whether or not the coffee is good. So yeah. uh, there wasn't a lot of help on that front unnecessarily. But then I think the other key thing um, that I've learned that I think gives me a bit more peace of mind now is that you rarely dial in the coffee super early for brewers. I think, I don't know how similar it is in barista, but for me, we only really dialed in the coffee like a week before properly um you don't i think it would be quite dangerous to hit your best brew you know maybe a month or a month and a half in advance because then you're always gonna try to top that and what what if you don't top that that's terrifying yeah. <laughs> so you know from that point on then i was inviting people who i knew had judged before who had been uh, wc reps before um who were in melbourne and I was just like, hey, come and see my routine, come and taste my coffee, let me know what you think, you know, how can we make this better? So yeah. that happened very, very close to like going on stage. Yeah, it's interesting, like um, between brewers and barista, like when you go on stage in the barista championship, you're locked into the water that's there. You have to use, you know, one of the sponsored grinders or bring your own version of the sponsored grinder. Whereas brewers, you've got a bit more flexibility and open service with your own water and grinder, right? Absolutely. I think, I, honestly, I think doing barista would give me anxiety attacks. <laughs> I just think about it. I'm like, oh, maybe one day. And then I'm just like, I can't like, oh. So, I, yeah, I think with brewers and it's so much more fun for me as well to to be given that freedom you you know and you dive into so many rabbit holes and you learn so much and it's not to say that you don't in barista whatsoever but you know yeah you are locked into very specific types of equipment um you know and and you might not have access to them a lot of the time if you're yeah. training i know global access is super hard to to get for some sponsors um you know whereas with, with brewers you have that freedom to say ah okay i can use this grinder or this water so so like just thinking about that in terms of brewers obviously you went from switzerland to melbourne did you have like did your coffee taste dramatically different or because you had control of the grinder the water etc was it still the same um it did taste different not drastically so but you know there were there were peaks and troughs, I think, throughout the entire process. Um, we did really struggle with trying to get our calcium 
down. Like I just remember like the minerals would just fall flat pretty much like within a day. And that's never really happened before. It didn't happen at nationals. Um, it's, it's not happened in the time since. And then, you know, it's just on that day for some reason or during the, the two weeks that we were preparing, like you're just constantly struggling with calcium of all things. Um, so yeah, and then because the water, because my water played such a big part in, in um, my final brew, like some people do use prepackaged, you know, mineral sachets and stuff like Aquacode or Third, wa- uh, third Wave, um, but we make our minerals from scratch. So that was another part, another factor that was in our control that could as easily have not been. Um, but yeah, I think on the whole, there was an upward trend. And I don't think we ever hit the best brews of my coffee while we were in Switzerland. I think, you know, once we got to Melbourne, it only started getting better and better and better. And that was such a relief. Well, that's exactly what you want, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So thinking back, maybe um, before you decided to compete, were there any memorable Brewers' Cup routines that you like loved? I mean, I know you mentioned earlier there were none that you sort of saw yourself within, but were there any inspiring, you know, routines that have stuck with you? Oh, 100%. Like, I think a lot of them, um, I, I looked at a lot of uh, finalist routines particularly because when you get to that point it's like okay it's got to be down solid it's got to basically be as easy as breathing um you know your performance so i i watched a lot of those um emmy fukuhori's really stood out um emmy's also based in switzerland and it's very good to be able to pick her brain as well um you know just how personable she was and how you know engaging and yet professional and yet playful and friendly um Michaela, Michaela Walgren's one as well, you know, just that touch of charm. I think she says something like, you know, this coffee, there's several different things I'm going to, you know, put in this coffee to make it taste good. And the final element is me. And I was like, oh, I love that. Xianning um, as well when she won and she did, I was just like, how are you doing this? Without losing your head, you have made a brew that you've brewed of your left hand and you have an extra brew share of the judges. I don't understand. You actually did that too for your national didn't you um well um i did you an extra no i didn't share anything with the judges but i i made them like two extra drinks i, I didn't need to just to make things harder for myself i love it <laughs> <laughs> but no, i mean i i love that and there's also that's also a way for you to qc you know what you've brewed on the day as well to know that you've brewed and tasted exactly the same things um but yeah, those were all routines. And actually, I also watched a couple of barista ones. Um, Gian's when she won. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're not allowed to sit on our tables, unfortunately, or we'll be disqualified. But, you know, just that energy and that that excitement of how do I don't really know what the phrase is for it, but I guess kind of like pulling the rug out from under your judge's feet so that they don't know what to expect. And they're waiting on you to tell them what to expect. Whereas with a lot of judges, you know, they come on stage and potentially they go into this autopilot mode of, oh, I'm a judge now. And this is that interaction. And this is this is always going to go this way. Yeah. Whereas like with what Julian did was so surprising and engaging, you know, and and, and yeah, I, I think those were the routines that I kind of took. Those are the routines that that level of like smoothness and professionalism that I really wanted to to draw from some excellent choices um aside from watching those routines have you got any advice that you'd give to people who are thinking about competing in brewers for the first time oh apart from all of the things we spoke about in this chat (laughs) um i think uh ask for help like ask for help but ask for the right help and I, I i understand this one's maybe a little bit tricky because not everyone has access to uh you know to coaches who are experienced who know what they're doing um there's plenty of groundwork that you can do you can read the rules know them inside out um and then on top of that try to ask for someone who has had competition in the brewers cup um who has done well in the brewers cup if you can um ask for like don't be shy to ask for sponsorship like when i was in nationals 
Brief by Hand really came through with a lot of kit and equipment for me, and and I do believe they are intending on on doing the same for future years and future cohorts. Um, do research, like watch a lot of videos, read a lot of blogs, um, you know, try to strike up conversations with people who have competed and done well and what they did well, listen to podcasts like this one. Um, I think the other thing I would probably warn people, and this is very time sensitive, is don't think extract chilling will solve all your problems because they will not. <laughs> Uh, as someone who messed up extract chilling, so it's uh, just a word of warning, like at the national level, I left my coffee in with the uh, the ice cubes because I was using um, whiskey rocks at the time. Um, I left them in for too long and cooled my coffee down too much and served a cup that was basically evaluated from cold. Still came third in compulsory, but not the kind of third you want. Um, so yeah, just knowing that you could potentially lose your head on stage and do stupid things like that, like I, that I hadn't done during training, um, you know, is, is something. And also, yeah, extract chilling and do a bit more research on it. I know the research is still super new, but it will not solve all your problems. So it's not a magic bullet for doing good brewing and people with no extract chilling have done much better. Ask Paul Ross for that because he went in with three aeropresses and boss the hell out of everyone so you know there's ways to do that really really well without extract chilling so did uh did paul come first in compulsory he did come first in compulsory oh, what a legend he, did, he didn't even brag about that when i interviewed him i mean no he he did and i you know and he is just such a phenomenal barista and he's such a phenomenal coffee professional he's a great palate he knew what he was doing and i think you know his experience in previous competitions had really helped so yeah yeah, very experienced, Mr. Paul Ross. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, nerd question. Uh, what grind did you use? Oh, okay. So for nationals, I used the Kinu. And then for my worlds, I used the Easy Presso K Max. K Max? K Pro. K Pro or K Max? One of the two. Can't remember. Uh, any particular reason you swapped from one to the other? So I had tried a variety of grinders throughout the entire journey from Nationals. I tried the Comandante, which is, oh, relatively speaking, probably the most uh, widely known and most accessible, not from a price perspective, unfortunately, but yeah, most accessible um, and well-known grinder. And then wanted to open myself up to different ones. So with the Kinu, um, it gives a lot of body and a lot of sweetness because there's a lot of fines i think in there well not a lot of fines but relatively more fines um and that's sometimes the profile that people are looking for but with the easy presso i found that it kind of straddled that middle ground between the commandante with its um highlighting of acidity uh and the kinu which was more sweetness and body and for some reason the easy presso was just super clean for me um while not compromising on either so it was just a nice middle ground and it worked the best with my coffee. So we did try um, all of the different grinders on that coffee. And for some reason, the Easy Presso did the best. So. Excellent. So that's yeah, another rabbit hole for people to delve into, right? Yeah. Which of the million hand grinders in the world is the right one for my coffee? I think it's, it's such a, oh, I don't like, it's such a contrived thing, the Brewer's Cup. So I, I, I don't want people to think, especially if you're a new listener or a new, a person that's new to specialty, it's not the be all and end all of coffee making ever in the world. Like so much of what we do is so hyper engineered. Like I've, I've heard of people like remixing finds into things uh, that they've sieved out or, you know, uh, like what Elika did uh, and he has done historically is to layer um, eugenoides below his Sudan Rume, you know, like all these things normal people don't do when you make coffee. There just isn't the time and there isn't the money for that. So if you can dive into those rabbit holes, just know when to stop and know when you are making a perfectly fine cup of coffee. <laughs> um, general sort of vaguely close a question uh answer it how you wish what's next for you oh my god um 
So obviously I am now settled in Switzerland um, and hopefully I'll still get to defend my UK title if I decide to do so. I'm very excited to hopefully be able to do that. Um, in terms of work, I now work for the Zurich University of Applied Sciences uh, in their Coffee Excellence Center. And I am in charge of uh, several key projects, one of which uh, I'm super excited about, which has cropped up a couple of times in our chat. It is actually doing research with regards to um, the Paragon and extract chilling. Um, we have obviously spoken about how it was done in espresso with, for example, San Remo. Um, but here I'll be working on the filter side of things, which I'm super excited about. And just being able to um, bridge that gap between, you know, everyday baristas who want to learn a little bit more about coffee and the frontier of like coffee science and technology is is very exciting. I can't wait to to be an ambassador for that. Amazing. Was there anything that I didn't bring up, anything you wanted to talk about, any demons you needed exercising? <laughs> the PTSD from competing. Um, no, I think on the whole, super lovely chat. And thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It's such an honor. And I'm very excited to see where you go next in your competitive life as well and, and what the new competitive season brings in 2023. Excellent. Yeah, it's been great chatting with you, Sierra. Thank you for spending over an hour chatting with me on this call. Thank you. And it's nice to catch up with you as well. So yeah, definitely. So uh, speak yeah. again soon. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hello Judges. It was great to chat with Sierra all about her whirlwind competition experience from never competing before to representing the UK at the World Championships. Next week, my guest is Dan Fellows, recorded live at Manchester Coffee Festival. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and review the podcast. You can follow us on at Taylor's Discovery on Instagram, Taylor's Discovery on YouTube, and Hello Judges Podcast in all the usual podcast places. It's been an absolute pleasure to share this podcast with you today. Thank you. Time. <laughs>